Emily, today I'm here to give you SARS. Oh, that's what you want the first thing people hear in this episode <laughs> to be, huh? That's what this whole episode is about. No, 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 no. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. <laughs> where, where do you fall on the whole humans are like their pets debate? Oh, I don't know if I have a strong opinion on it. Well, make one, quick. They're not. No. Humans have personalities. Animals have personalities. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they don't. But there's the argument that, like, people gravitate towards pets that might look like them or act like them, but not necessarily that it's, like, a be-all, end-all, you know? Sure. But I feel like it's more... It's one of those situations where, like, people notice a pattern a couple of times, and then they Mm -hmm. only Mm -hmm. remember the times Mm -hmm. when it happened. Mm -hmm. And not the way more times that it didn't happen. Are you saying this is a conspiracy theory? (laughs) No, I'm saying this is a logical fallacy. Emily, haven't you had pets? I've only had one pet in my life, which was a guinea pig that we probably didn't do the best job of taking care of. Oh, God, this is going to be a sad story. (laughs) I mean, now you have to tell everybody. Kyle, do you want me to say guinea pig died in this podcast episode? (laughs) I mean, you're the one who brought up your dead guinea pig. I don't know what to tell you. You asked me if I had a pet. This was the only answer I had. (laughs) Emily, I'm sure you looked a lot like that pet. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Emily Moyers and Kyle Imperator take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. everybody welcome for the love of god welcome to butter no parsnips i'm emily moyers and i'm kyle imperator and whoo wow we dodged a bullet just then <laughs> yeah you won't hear it because it will definitely be cut i'm saying very pointedly to <laughs> our producer i'm sure it was i'm saying very uh, the opposite of concavely <laughs> to our producer <laughs> hey Kyle, now that we've just finished introducing the episode, do you have a word? I do have a word for you, Emily, and I think you're gonna, uh, you know, you're gonna, it'll be somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Okay. No, you're gonna like it. You're gonna like it. Okay. All right. All right. I'll do my best to like it. Okay, good. So, Emily, your word today is elephine. E-L-A-P-H-I-N-E. Elephine. Oh, and this isn't just a cockney gentleman describing <laughs> an attractive woman he's just seen <gasps> walk by. What? Oi, she's elephine. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, no, you got it, Emily. Play the music. I mean, wow. You know, smashing. Really. Core blinding. What can I say? <laughs> No, Emily, it is not that, but great guess. Thanks. I don't think it was. So the elephine, and now I can't unhear it. <laughs> this is an adjective? It is like 99% of the time used as an adjective, but it can be used as a noun. But using it as a noun would just be like the thing that that the adjective is usually describing? Correct. The language of origin... I I know we're going to sound like broken records at this point, but it's got to mm. be Greek. 
It's Greek, Emily. Yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to avoid Greek words, you know? We're, hey, you know, I guess we're all speaking Greek at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we're all speaking Greek, and not often enough are we eating Greek. I could go for some pastizio every now and then. Wow, that's that's what we'll get next time we hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Quick aside, um, <laughs> my menu, my order will be, yeah. <laughs> So I'm so listen, I'm just going to address <laughs> I'm just going to address the uh-huh. thing in the room, uh-huh. <laughs> which is that this looks a lot like it means relating to elephants. But I feel like a it can't be because that would be too obvious. But also uh-huh. B, I think things relating to elephants are are pachydermal. Or something, pachydermal. some other word that doesn't sound my ba- like elephant. My pachydermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct on both accounts, except I don't know if pachydermal is a word, but no, I can probably look that up. not. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be related to elephants. Can I have a hint, Kyle? You can have a hint, Emily. Your hint is Bambi. Oh, is wow. I mean, it, now my immediate thought is: is it related to deer? It totally could be. I I will guess that. I will guess that this is the word for things that are deer-like. Emily, you got it. Hey. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Spot on. I mean it it does it has the sound of an animal word cuz it sounds like porcine or or equine. Emily, we're going to talk all about that later. I'm so <gasps> glad you brought it up. Loverdy. But yeah, so elephine means pertaining to, resembling, or characteristic of the red deer or the stag. Specifically the red deer? Yes. And we're going to talk about them too. Those guys. Those guys. (laughs) And you'll see why. (laughs) And as a noun, it can mean the red deer. Like if you're talking about the elephant, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, Emily... We're going to talk all about deer today. Are you so excited? I guess. I mean, you know, they're cute. They're, they're, I was going to say cuddly. They're not really cuddly. Too too much, too much of the leg to body ratio. It's a little off for it to be cuddly. It does get a little like Dolly elephants, you know, (laughs) when you think about it too much. Yeah. But, you know, how can you not love Bambi? I know. I wish deer's heads were that size, though. You know, if it was a lot bigger, it'd be cuter. Or alien. I don't was, know. Were the Bambi deers have bigger heads? <laughs> Ignore the grammar what? of what I just <laughs> said. No, I'm saying it's a cartoon, so it's like exaggerated. Right. I guess it is. Sure. Anyway, Emily, here's the <laughs> etymology of elephine. Elephine comes from the Latin elapus, meaning deer, yeah. from the ancient Greek Elapos, meaning red deer. <laughs> really pretty Whoa. simple etymology there, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get when it's when it's a thing that people have been aware of since the dawn of time, like it is, it's just, here's the word for that thing. Yeah, truly, yeah. yeah. And it really has been around since the dawn of time. So, elephine has almost exclusively been used zoologically. We're going to talk about some other instances later. But I want—I figure we'd start with the, you know, zoological part. The most ubiquitous, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the earliest instance that I could find was in an 1827 edition of the naturalist Georges Cuvier's 
Lorenyanimal, or the Animal Kingdom. Beautiful, Kyle. Oh, thank you. I practice so much. <laughs> so the book distinguishes the Elephine group from other deer by describing them as stags proper, a small group composed, however, of species the most celebrated in the annals of the chase and the fictions of the poets. Anytime any of these books mention the chase, I'm immediately like, the chase, the pit of Bonton? I know all these hunting words now. I know. I wish they did mention the other ones more often, but it's it's mostly the chase, you know? Sure. But that it's because the chase is the one that is hunting, right? It is hunting, yeah. So the genus that he's talking about, the elephant group, is the genus Cervus, C-E-R-V-U-S. And oh. it includes a few different species, but elephine comes from the most popular species in the bunch, which is Cervus elephus, E-L-A-P-H-U-S. And that is the red deer, which is a European deer species. Are, are, do, have you heard of like the species red deer? Yeah. I want to say, uh, I don't know if this is true. That's okay. You can say it. We can say whatever we want. We're in a post-fact world, Emily. <laughs> that's, that's true. And no one, there's a very small portion of our listeners who will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. I, yeah. My family goes to visit an island in Maine every summer. But when we're not there during the winter, the body of water that it's in freezes. And I think red deer walk over and live there during the winter but they're not there during the summer. It's possible that they're red deer. I think red deer are not to get super zoological about this, but I think red get deer super are- super zoological, Kyle. <laughs> I think red deer are mostly European animals and a there's some Asian uh, oh. subspecies. In America, we mostly have the white-tailed deer, which is what yeah. Bambi's based on. I was just going to say, like right before you said it, I was like, oh, white-tailed deer is the- yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but it's hard to distinguish all these species unless you're a deerologist, an elephologist. An elephologist. <laughs> which I've become <laughs> looking into this word. Amazing, Kyle. Tell me all the elephology. <laughs> so red deer can be seen in prehistoric cave art. That's how oh. like ubiquitous they are in culture. Wow. Wikipedia said like, oh, some 20,000-year-old cave art, but I couldn't find any actual instances of that. But I did find one 4,000-year-old burial mound in Scotland called Duncraigig Cairn that has cave art of the red deer, and it's possibly the oldest animal carvings in the United Kingdom. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. But the red deer species is probably most associated with hunting or the chase, which we mentioned earlier. Emily, just spitball and what do you remember about the chase? The chase, I remember there were like different types of hunting, like whether mm -hmm. you were I remember uh in our Tantivy episode we talked about a type of hunting that was specifically like dogs looking for animals by sight rather than by smell or other senses? Yes. Yes. Coursing, I think, was that. And then I, I also remember that there were a bunch of silly words for everything, like Tantivy <laughs> and, and, and Gadzooks, and <laughs> none of these That were. was not one of them. But. <laughs> uh, yeah. Zoinks? Soho? Yeah. Zoinks. Yoinks. Did I say zoinks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that famous hunting hey, call. They were all silly it's words, all right? <laughs> it's pretty close, honestly. So the idea of hunting as a sport crystallized earlier than when Tantivy came around. You know, that like hunting sport was like the 1800s. But the idea of hunting as a sport 
kind of solidified during the medieval period, if you can believe it. Oh. And it was during this period that a heavy emphasis was placed on the use of correct terminology. There was like a ton of hunting texts that were published at that time that were written. It's really specifying all of these terms. Oh, wow. So medieval, that's like, I feel like in my head is like 11 to 1300s. I think it goes up to 1500, if I remember okay. correctly, the medieval period. And so in medieval hunting and, you know, starting in, in medieval hunting, but probably before that too, red deer stags were the kings of the catch. <gasps> and they were given the prestigious label of venery to distinguish them from lesser catches. We've talked about venery on multiple episodes before. And it's yeah. basically just the title that was given to the red deer stags to be like, these are the best of the catch. Interesting, because I feel like today, venery can be used to just mean any like hunting game. Yeah. But it's yeah. originally just red deer stags. Just the red deer stags. And on top of that, Emily, while we might call any male deer a stag today, properly, only the male red deer were worthy of the term, and female red deer were called hinds, whereas... All other deer, you would call them bucks and does. Oh, yeah, it never occurred to me that buck and stag are like today, like the same word, basically. Right. Yeah, they're basically synonymous. Yeah. The stag actually had a different name for each year it was alive, starting with calf for its first year, then brocket, spade, <gasps> staggered, and then stag or great stag, depending on how fancy you wanted to be. <laughs> oh, maybe like great stag is like you graduated summa cum laude like, <laughs> with honors. Great stag, yeah. It gets to, you know, turn its tassel. Yeah, and I got an extra tassel on its, on yeah. its antlers. <laughs> well, actually, Emily, the most mature stag was a revered catch called a heart H-A-R-T. Huh. And had different designations. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that term, heart? I feel like I've heard a bunch of these words in relation to stags, but I can't think of like where. Heart was also used just for like other kinds of goats and antelopes in that family that they didn't really have species names yet for. Huh. Um, so th like there's a antelope species called the royal antelope that we get because they were originally called royal hearts or something like that. And there's a, a relative of the wildebeest called the hartebeest, which is just comes <gasps> from the Dutch word for heart and the Dutch word for beast. The hartebeest. The heart to beast, yeah. But the hearts in hunting had a bunch of different terms. One hunted by the nobility was called a royal heart. A stag in its sixth year might have been called a heart of ten, denoting its ten-pointed antlers. But they only have that once they've reached their sixth year? Well, because year five, they were called a stag. And then year six, they were like, okay, now this is a heart of ten, if because it's assumed that hearts in their sixth year will have ten antlers, I guess, or ten-pointed antlers, I don't know. Wow. But then it, it, the some of the texts that I read go on further and say that older stags may have been called terms like hearts crotched, palmed, or crowned. <laughs> I don't like crotched. <laughs> it's spelled crotched, C-R-O-C-H-E-D, but I think it's crotched. I think it comes from a Middle English word for that like meant like forked. Gotcha. Um, you don't think it's crocheted? I honestly, when I <laughs> searched crotched, all I got was crocheted things. And I was like, this is not helping me. But it might be related, Emily. I think a crochet might come from 
crotch in the sense that you use forks for the actual oh, making of the, the things. thing is kind of hooked. Yeah. yeah. But don't quote me on that. All right. It's it, I'm sure no one's going to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And a particularly fat stag, Emily, was called a heart of grease. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I wrote a heart of grease is also a symptom of eating the entirety of that stag. Sure. Also, heart of grease, I think, is the sequel. <laughs> yeah. You got grease and then you got heart of grease. Same Characters replaced all the actors. Yes. <laughs> like um, Walmart and, versions. And just really hoped no one would notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Heart of Grace, interestingly, might have brought us the phrase to take heart of grace, H-E-A-R-T, heart of grace, which means to find courage, especially from someone's goodwill. And it might have just come about because it sounded like a phrase that already existed. It was like a play on words. Yeah. Or it might have to like be related to like they might have ascribed courage as an elephine trait, you know, oh, something like that. Getting into animal symbology. Get into animal symbology. Emily, this brings us to talking about more animals. Oh, more animals. Uh, more you animals. Got, you got a regular menagerie going on there, um, Kyle. A whole menagerie. <laughs> so this etymological pattern of taking the lat- Latin terms for animals and adding an I and E on the end to describe them is, is widely applicable, as you mentioned earlier. For example, the elephine genus Cervus and the larger family of deer Cervidae or I'm sorry, cervidae, C-E-R-V-I-D-A-E. Uh, that's where we get the term servine, which also means deer-like. It comes from the oh. Latin cervus, meaning deer. But that could mean any deer, not just the red deer. Correct, yeah. Emily, yeah. can you think of any other animal adjectives? I know you named some at the beginning. I did. This porcine, this equine, I'm sure, oh, well, canine. And yeah. feline are more yeah. well-known ones. I went for Absolutely. some out-of-the-box ones. <laughs> no, those are good, yeah. Oh, I'm sure I could rattle off more, but they would be really boring to just hear me um and err uh, for another I, two I, minutes. I, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, there's also bovine, right? Which means cow Cows, yeah. Here's, uh, let's do the, you name the ones you have and I'll tell okay, you what animals. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Equine. <laughs> is horses. Okay. Her sign. Oh, mm. I've definitely heard the word before. Uh, oh, I don't know. I, it means goat-like, Emily. Goat-like. So these terms sometimes get applied figuratively. I have a quote here that uses servine figuratively. It's from Lawrence Durrell's 1978 novel, Livia. It's just a short piece that says, to which she replied sweetly, shaking that fine servine head. Oh. This hasn't been so much the case with elephine. It's mostly been used in examples, in modern examples of using the word, which is interesting. (laughs) But I found a really great one that I wanted to talk about. So it was used figuratively in an example in linguist A.C. Kemp's 2008, The Perfect Insult for Every Occasion. Which is where this is going. uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's written as a series of advice columns from the fictitious socialite Lady Arabella Snark. Wow. Yeah. I mean, where do I meet Lady Arabella Snark? (laughs) This is a great book. I read through some of it. It's real fun. (laughs) Lady Snark is described as an etiquette guru and former director of the Haverford Women's Correctional Facility Charm School for Repeat (gasps) Offenders. (laughs) 
she recommends to one advice seeker the shock and awe technique, <gasps> which she says requires one to throw out an extremely obscure slight and then toss your head disdainfully and haughtily <laughs> flee the vicinity. <laughs> flee! Yeah. <laughs> Just like throw out some gobbledygook and leave yeah. before they yeah. notice. <laughs> before they realize that it means nothing. <laughs> I mean, a great technique. Good form. Yeah, it's a really good form. I love it. So she suggests the use of Greek and Latin words for animals for this. And she says, no one remembers what the Romans called raccoons. But she offers this uh, insult that's really a compliment as an example of, of the uh, technique. It says, mm. what you say... Adam, you move in such an elephine way. What Adam hears, you're as clumsy as an elephant. What it really <laughs> means, Adam, you walk as gracefully as a stag through the forest. I mean, honestly, I feel like that could mean clumsy even if you're talking about a deer. Because, like, I don't know <laughs> right, if you've yeah. ever seen, like, footage of a deer, like, when it's not supposed to be somewhere and it's panicked. <laughs> it is, like, the furthest thing from graceful you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Uh, so Emily, I had a point here to ask you if you knew what the adjective for elephant like was. I know the answer's no now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like pachyderm doesn't actually mean elephant. It means like the family that elephants come from, right? Yeah. Do you do you know what the word is? I feel like once you say it, it will ring a bell, but I don't you're gonna, know it off the top of you're my gonna head. You're going to shoot yourself. Boy. Now it really feels like I got to get this before you say it, but I can't. I don't know it. Emily, the word is elephantine. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, that is a bummer. Because yeah. I have definitely heard that word before. I guess I just assumed that word just meant like, like just meant big. Sure. Well, it well, that's what, just how the use of it has evolved over time. Right. Emily, I've, I, I, I've, listen, I've got one last thing that I need to talk about today, <gasps> all right? Well, then, let's not delay. So, Emily, a tragelophus is a legendary creature that is half goat, half stag. Oh. Oh, because so, it's got the elef. Yep, 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 mm -hmm. yep, yep, yep. So, tragelophus comes from the ancient Greek tragos, meaning billy goat, and elepos, of course, meaning deer. Yeah. Um, it's also, uh, I think, Boetius or someone translated it into Latin to be Hercoservus, which is Hircus, which is male goat in Latin, and Cervus, which is deer in Latin. Right. So it's an interesting little creature, all right? Oh. Some long-gone zoologists, such as Edward Topsell, whom oh. you might oh. remember. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. the, the four-footed beasts? Yeah, the history of four-footed beasts yes. and serpents, Emily. <laughs> But in that book, Emily, he insists that the beast existed. Oh, yeah. No, he. that book is full of loads of crazy animals that he's yeah. like, yeah, no, like I have a friend of a friend across the country. You probably never heard of him, but he saw one. So I'm Emily, right. His explanation for this is so much worse. Oh, no. So he describes two kinds of tragelophus. One is like a hersine stag and the other's an elephine goat. Like one's like a, a goaty deer and a deery goat. You sure, know? like a zebra with black stripes <laughs> yeah. and a zebra with yeah. white stripes. Yeah. yeah. But he says of the beasts, therefore, howsoever, some have imagined that there is no such beast to be found in the world. 
They are rather to be pitied than confuted, <laughs> for it is not to be doubted that neither the ancients nor other ever have seen all the diverse and marvelous shapes of beasts. Marvelous. And therefore, the reason why they affirm this is because they never saw any such. So basically, he's saying the people who don't think this exists are just saying it because they never saw it. But like, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> yeah, gravity's real. You've never seen that, right? Love is real. You've yeah. never seen that, but you feel it in your heart. <laughs> like, literally, that's the only explanation that he gives. And then he goes on to be like, yeah, so it lives in this area. And, and you know, it, it looks like this. And like minute details about it. Sure. It's like, well, no one's ever seen it. But he's saying it's a mix between a goat and a deer. These are two animals that are not that far apart. So I feel like he might be describing a species that exists. He might be describing like a gazelle or something. So I think, I didn't look too much into this, but I I think that that's exactly what the case was. I think people were like seeing antelopes and not knowing that it was just a new animal. And they were like, it's a goat stag. <laughs> like that feels so possible. <laughs> yeah. So- one ancient that was doubtful of this marvelous creature, Emily, <laughs> was Aristotle. Oh. And he was fond of using the Trigelophus as an example of something that is non-existent. <laughs> like, a, like a Bigfoot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he argued in his posterior analytics that while the word Trigelophus is definable... The concept is not because the species doesn't exist. Right. So he said, no one knows of what does not exist. One can know the meaning of the name goat stag, but not what the essential nature of a goat stag is. Yeah, because it's right. not real. Because it just doesn't exist. <laughs> right. And he returns to this example in his physics to describe the idea of place, saying, that which does not exist is nowhere. Where, for example, is a goat stag or a sphinx? Right. Saying, like, if something exists, it is somewhere. But the only you can only be nowhere if you don't exist. So <laughs> right. Martin Luther, crazy <gasps> enough, was clearly a fan of Aristotle, and he used the Trigelophus as an example to describe a law from God that instructs but does not condemn. Because theologians had searched for such a law, but it just didn't exist. So he called it a tragelophus. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a great context to use that word of just like a thing that isn't real. Because like, it sounds like such a more ridiculous word. Like it sounds like a word for something that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Well, Emily, I th think this was the case in ancient Greek and it just never, the nuance of it never transferred over because the ancient Greek word tragelopos also meant a thingamabob or a what's a name. No doubt <gasps> really because good. of the term's relation with barely describable concepts, a tragelopos. <laughs> just a thingamadoodle. <laughs> yeah. So eventually it became the namesake for an antelope genus, tragelophus, which is why you might be correct. Like it, it maybe they're just was antelope that they were like, oh, it's a tragelophus, right? Yeah, yeah. But so there are real tragelophine animals out there. <laughs> tragelophine. <laughs> yeah, but I think we can take it one step further, Emily, and like you said, and use tragelophine figuratively, like we did with elephine, to describe something that can be named but does not exist. Love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Hundred <laughs> percent. That's all I got for Elephine, Emily. Kyle, I love Elephine. I love <laughs> Trigelophine. <laughs> Trigelophine, right? <laughs> I love all the stuff about animal words. It's a great little um, subset of language. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. It's, it's like something fun. that's like so fun because it's so buildable. You know? Yeah, it's literally like like puzzle pieces making words. Yeah, yeah, and you could just do whatever you want with it. Um, uh, this brings me to uh, the best part of the episode, Emily. No, can you use Elephine <laughs> in a sentence? Jeez Louise, <laughs> Elephine. Okay, I'm gonna think of a good a good metaphorical usage. Metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I go rollerblading or ice skating. <laughs> I look very much like what I imagine uh, Elephine rollerblading or ice skating might look like. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> oh, lovely, Emily. Well, uh, thank you for that. Or uh, Elephantine rollerblading. Elephantine, <laughs> either way, yeah. <laughs> Interchangeable. A mess. <laughs> I think this brings us to a game, Emily, about <gasps> animal endings. Oh, Kyle. I can't even tell you how excited I am at the prospect of this game. <laughs> so you're going to be even more excited, Emily, when I tell you the name of the game one is, I know you're Suidian, but what am I? Suidian <laughs> being another term for porcine, pig-like. <laughs> and it's called that because it's the name of a quiz that Lady Snark offers. <gasps> After her animal insults column, I I figured, hey, let's just take some of these questions. They're so good. You're going to love so them. So funny. This is now the <laughs> second time that you've just just had the good luck to stumble across a game <laughs> in old print. So, Emily, I'm going to read to you an insult, and you're going to have to tell me what animal I'm referring to, okay? Oh, my God. I'm so There's excited. only three of them. It's pretty short. So, your first insult is, still haven't finished that project from last year? How Lemasine you are. Oh, can you spell it? And I'll spell it? it out for you. Yeah, Lemasine is L-I-M-A-C-I-N-E. Lemasine. Lemasine. And this just this isn't just someone from P- Peru? Portugal? One no, of those two. it's not. Yeah, Peru is the yeah, Peru. Capital. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Because Portugal is Lisbon. So I get it's it's two P's and two L's and I get them mixed up. No, it's not. Lisbon's somewhere else. Anyway. No, Lisbon's Portugal. Oh, You're it right. is? Okay, good. Yeah. What a relief. You didn't answer and I got scared and doubted myself. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, none of that has anything to do with the answer to this question. (laughs) Well, you know, we're talking about Europe. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a link. (laughs) (laughs) Lima sign has got to be obviously, clearly related to. I'm so You're at a loss. Hyperventilating. I'm just, just going to throw some hippopotamus. <laughs> Lovely. But no, actually, she says in the thing, she used the adjective hippopotomic. Hippopotomic is that river in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Emily. Limasine means like a slug. <gasps> wow. It's from the Latin limax, L-I-M-A-X, meaning slug. Wow. Yeah. So, like, never finish because you're so slow. Because you're so slow. Yeah. Got it. See, I, I couldn't get out of the Finbar Calamitous headspace. I know. So I, I knew was like, you were what there. animal can never finish anything? <laughs> I knew you were there. <laughs> okay, you ready for your second one? 
Yeah, hit me. Oh, did you really enjoy that film? I found it a bit meliagrine. <gasps> M-E-L-E-A-G-R-I-N-E. Meliagrine. Meliagrine. I feel like my immediate thought, I don't know why, but just on looking at it, my immediate thought is this is this is mammalian. I think it is some some type of monkey, and she's implying that the movie was like immature. I think that's a fine guess, but you're wrong. What if I told yeah. you it wasn't mammalian? Uh, a fish? That affects nothing. <laughs> wow, it is not a fish. No. <laughs> I don't know. Emily, meliagrine means like a turkey. Oh. So like the film was a turkey, it was a dud. <laughs> it comes from the Latin meleagris, meaning turkey. That's meaning the Latin turkey. word for turkey, meleagris. Wow. I like that there's a Latin word for turkey because it means I can picture wild turkeys running around ancient Rome. And that image makes me happy. (laughs) Right? Right? It's like, wow, maybe the ancient Romans did have Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Emily, you ready for the last one? Yeah. Okay. You remind me of my ex-husband. You're both so pediculine. Pediculine, P-E-D-I-C-U-L-I-N-E, pediculine. I mean, whatever this is, it's going to be a good punchline if the setup is is you're like my (laughs) ex-husband. It is is a good punchline. (laughs) This is like stand-up for etymologists. Yeah, absolutely. Or zoologists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really just for Mike Stefan. (laughs) Yeah, really, just... Honestly, he's, I kept thinking about him this in whole the episode. Right now. Absolutely, and I'm thinking, Kyle. Oh, man, should I be doing this? Should I do, like? Should we get I him th- on? I, yeah, just to do this episode. <laughs> we love you, Mike. We love you so much, Mike. Pediculine, won't you be mine? <laughs> Pediculine. Well, you know what? It's got to be. It's got to be something small. It's mm-hmm, got to mm-hmm. be just a just a, a chipmunk. <laughs> You got to think a little smaller, Emily. Smaller? Yeah. Are we talking like microbial? (laughs) A little bit bigger, but not much. Okay. Is it visible to the naked eye? Uh, Maybe if you get real close. Like algae? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No. Can I give it to you? Yeah. So you remind me of my ex-husband. You're both so pediculine. Pediculine means like a louse. (gasps) From the Latin pediculus, meaning louse. Just just like small and annoying. (laughs) Yeah, like... Just a, just useless, just a, a, a vermin, a pest. <laughs> Pediculine. <laughs> really good. I mean, these are all fantastic insults. Uh, you know, Emily, you can thank Lady Arabella Snark or AC Kemp. Oh, wow. Thanks, yeah. Lady Snark. And thanks, Lady Snark. Kyle. This was a great episode. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Can I, oh, so we're going to do a closer now, but can I throw this in as a part of our closer? Because okay. I, I thought it was really interesting and I couldn't smash it anywhere else into our <laughs> uh, thing. Okay. So it turns out the Greek, ancient Greek, had a trillion words for parsnip. <gasps> so good, so good, so good. But, but one of them was elapaboskin, which is just basically- Something related to deer? It's some. It's the thing that deer eat, is what it means. <laughs> elapaboskin is a parsnip. Yeah. Wow. A really great episode, Kyle. Thank hey. you. Hey. Listen up. Remember <laughs> that you can find 
Butter No Parsnips <laughs> on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, listen up again and consider giving us <laughs> a five-star rating yeah. or review wherever you heard us. Yeah, and if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or here on the podcast. So thanks so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle Imperator. And I've been Emily Moyers. And this has been Butter No Parsnips.